subject is esoteric astrology and the 11th of the series of 12 talks I have planned. Esoteric astrology is the science of life. It is the science of being. Everything that you can imagine can be reduced or put in astrological terminology. It's a far vaster subject than astrologists understand. This is the science of the future, the science of the new age. The difference between esoteric astrology and orthodox or exoteric astrology and all its various grades is that they deal with the great illusion. The way astrology came about some thousands of years ago the main form of astrology that uh, is seen as a Chaldean-based astrology. And what was created was thought forms by humanity over thousands of years. And if you've gone to the listen to the talk on thought form construction and the astral plane, you'll know that thoughts are things. And people over thousands of years have created thought forms, created images. And it's these thought forms, these images, that exist on the astral realms that people, when they incarnate, incarnate through and build into their substance. And it's this substance in their auras that conditions the exoteric life. The terminology that we use in Orthodox astrology, Aries, Taurus, etc., is the terminology based on Greek mythology on the whole. But the older form of astrology of which that is based on is from the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, the Assyrians. They first codified this way of thinking in the 12 signs of the zodiac. There's other forms, as you know, the Chinese form of astrology, which we don't, you know, I will not be treating in dealing with here. Now, it's important to understand that in Orthodox astrology, what they're dealing with, and I'll repeat this, is the nature of the great illusion, the nature of the thought form-making tendency of human beings throughout the ages. What they've created on the astral realm, they incarnate through. And what they incarnate through, and is built in the substance of the aura as they grow up as a child, etc., um, is the conditioning sign, or the conditioning qualities of their life patterning. Thus, if they... Uh, are born in the star sign Aries, then they sort of are conditioned or incarnate into come into incarnation at the particular uh, astral conditionings when this thought form of Aries is dominant and that's built into their substance and it qualifies their life and therefore they can say, um, or the astrology can say that um, they are Arian or that they are Taurian and then they can write a big description on the general characteristics of a Taurian or general characteristics of an Arian. And it works. What I'm trying to give you is why orthodox astrology works. Because the substance is built into your auras when you incarnate. 
of that particular astrological conditioning as was created by the minds of human beings over thousands of years. And the soul, before it incarnates, chooses that particular type of astrological substance. Now, the other illusion that astrology is based on is the procession of the equinoxes. As you probably know, the 12 signs of the zodiac retrogress. We go from Aries to Pisces and from Pisces to Aquarius and from Aquarius to Capricorn. This retrogression is, is based on an illusion again on the apparent motion of the earth around the sun. It is not the reality. The reality is actually the opposite way, what we call in esoteric astrology a rectified wheel. Uh, the reality is that um, everything is going from Aries to Taurus and Taurus to Gemini. And esoteric astrology deals with both the reality and the illusion. It looks at everything. Only the human kingdom retrogress through the zodiac because it's only the human kingdom that's created an astral realm. All the heaven and hell states on the astral plane are mind-formed, are formed by the emotions and minds of human beings throughout the ages, and it's that conditioning that you incarnate through, and that conditioning that moulds and makes your equipment of responses, we call it, uh, which constitutes your emotions in your mind. And therefore... Um, whilst you're immersed in the great glamour, whilst you're immersed in the Emea, um, you are conditioned by the exoteric astrology and its signs. But every other kingdom of nature, um, the mineral kingdom, the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom, and the realm of divinity, the angelic kingdom, the kingdom of God, the hierarchy of enlightened being, and all those other planets and stars out there, they... Um, deal with and influenced by the proper astrological conditionings associated with the stars and the planets proper and not as it's um, manipulated or moulded by human thoughts and human emotions through the ages but which, into which we all incarnate. So um, esoteric astrology deals with everything else other than specifically the great illusion, but it also incorporates the great illusion in its thinking. Therefore, we use the orthodox planets. But we also use esoteric planets for those that are working on the path to discipleship, path of freeing themselves from the great illusion. And we also use hierarchical planets for those that have freed themselves and are standing as enlightened beings. So we actually use three planetary rulers when we're looking at any chart. And we're only really looking at the chart of those beings that are trying to free themselves from the great illusion. There's a particular life um, where a being turns about in the seat of consciousness, which is a Buddhist phrase um, which you can find in Lama Grigor Govinda's book, um, Foundation of Tibetan Mysticism, when the being is no longer focused downwards below the diaphragm, into the, the lower um, sensual pursuits, but is focused upwards to the higher chakras and focused upwards to the kingdom of God. And there's a particular life 
when being enters the path of initiation, when um, his whole seat of consciousness turns about. And um, it is also recapitulated in the life of disciples when they're entering the path of initiation again, um, the whole seat of consciousness turns about. And it's this turning about in the seat of consciousness and the point of turning about in the seat of consciousness that esoteric astrology deals with. That's when you actually start to fight um, against the conditionings of the man, against the conditionings of this world, the three worlds of human illusion. And you begin to live in the realm of enlightened being or start to bring those conditionings upon you. Then the esoteric planets start to play a role. And until then... Um, you're immersed in a great illusion like the rest of humanity and orthodox astrology will suit you well. In esoteric astrology, therefore, we're looking at the entire cosmos. We're not just concerned of the signs. The 12 signs are these 12 signs of the zodiac as um, portrayed by orthodox astrology and this um, Chaldean sort of Greek fusion of, of astrology or the Chinese, if you wish, all these are mind-born. These are the 12 signs of the zodiac. What you're really looking at is the constellations and the planets, the energies that actually come from cosmic sources, and as they play in and through all sentient beings and condition all that is through light and colour, through sound and colour. So... In esoteric astrology, therefore, it's a very, very vast subject. And we're looking not just at the orthodox planetary rulers, but we're looking at also some esoteric planetary rulers. Some of the planets that were formerly veiled, for instance, now, um, since 1930, 1930 Pluto came into the existence, 17-something, um, um, Uranus was discovered, these particular planets, such as Pluto, Uranus, Neptune, his outer planets, um, were not the part of the um, astrological consideration until they were actually formally discovered. But esoterically, they've always been known. And we also speak of two other planets in the, the solar system which are veiled, veiled by the sun and the moon. We look, therefore, at 12 planetary rulers. And um, this relates to the... 12 petals of the heart centre, 12 petals in the head letters of the heart and the 12 creative hierarchies to the way of consciousness and the way that consciousness and the soul itself evolves in time and space. Literally speaking, if you wish, for as far as human personalities go, esoteric astrology is the astrology of the soul. As far as um, enlightened being goes, esoteric astrology is the astrology of the monad or the astrology of travelling through cosmic space in the way the entire universe groans and develops and paint together to quote St. Paul in the Bible. It's a very vast subject. All, all kingdoms in nature have their astrological influences respond to the rays. Therefore, when we're looking at the seven... Orthodox are what we call sacred planets, the seven sacred planets. These are custodians of the seven rays as you know it. The first ray of will of power, this is Vulcan. Uh, the second ray of love wisdom, this is Jupiter. The third ray of active intelligence, this is Saturn. And each of these rays correspond to chakras 
correspond to colours, correspond to planes of perception, correspond to various kingdoms in nature. And there's a chart we have here of those seven rays and their planetary rulers and the kingdoms of nature, etc., and to psychological conditionings associated with human evolution. The fourth ray is harmony through conflict, and this is Mercury. The fifth ray is science, a scientific endeavour. This is Venus. The sixth ray is the ray of devotion, and war, warrior-like activity. This is Mars. And the seventh ray is ceremonial magic. The seventh ray is that which governs this new age as it comes into being. The colour is violet. Um, and this is Uranus. These are the what we call the sacred planets, and there are five non-sacred. The sacred planets are the seven petals within the heart lotus that cannot be touched by dark brotherhood, that cannot be influenced by, by anything that is evil or negative. There are five petals of the heart lotus that can be, that relate to the five pranas in Hindu philosophy, and these are the non-sacred planets, and these ones um, we give the name the Earth, the Sun, the Moon, Pluto, and one other. So, when we go into cosmology proper and the evolution of the solar system, you will, will, I'll explain to you maybe in a later talk or lecture what the sacred and non-sacred planets are. This is a vast, vast subject because it is the science of being. Essentially, esoteric astrology, therefore, is the science of enlightenment. What happens on the path to enlightenment? If one was looking at a chart of a disciple, one would look at the orthodox planetary rulers for their emotions and for their moods and mood swings and things like that, and then one would superimpose upon that the esoteric planetary rulers, um, which would condition them according to the way they're aspiring towards the kingdom of God. And as I said, once they've gotten there, then there would be the hierarchical planetary rulers which condition them as, as hierarchy, as enlightened beings, completely, completely freed from these three worlds of human endeavour. We still have in esoteric astrology the various crosses, the fixed cross, the mutable cross, the cardinal cross, the elements which you also see in orthodox astrology, they just have the higher transmitted correspondences. Also, in esoteric astrology, we're also looking at the history of reincarnation. If you're looking at a chart esoterically, you would be looking at the way the consciousness of that individual has evolved through many lives. It's rarely ever just looking at that particular life. One has to look at... Um, the, the moon sign, for instance, gives you the past, the past psychic condition of, of, the, of the individual, and the sun sign gives you the present, the ascendant gives you the future, the way the uh, person is evolving, where they're heading to. So when you're looking at the moon, which is a non-sacred planet, you're actually looking at the influences from past lives. And all the aspects to do with the moon, whether it's aspected with Pluto or it's a square or a throne or whatever, will give you the influences of the past, the past psychic constitution, as it's affecting the person. And whether that person is really living in the past 
or whether they're living in the present, depends very much on how the moon is aspected to the sun. Whether the dominant part of the natal chart is surrounding the moon when the person is cleansing sanskaras from the past, or the dominant um, part of the natal chart relates to the sun sign, then they're actually living in the present and working mainly in the present, or whether it's mainly aspected towards the ascendant, in which case we're looking for future, and that person is working for initiation into the mysteries of the kingdom of God. So depending on how the aspects go, so um, we're looking at past, present and future as the major influence of that particular life. Saturn is karma, is the lord of karma. So wherever you have Saturn aspected, so you get karma. And the karma will determine um, how you're going, whether it's aspected of past, present or future. What type of karma you've got, and the type of karma that that individual is working through. Neptune is um, six ray, and it's a sacred planet, and that will give you the testings relating to to the control of the waters. Scorpio, if you're highly aspected in Scorpio, then that always is a sign of testing, and the testings for initiation into the mysteries. There's a slight difference that we esoteric astrologers would use uh, looking at the aspects themselves because all you're really looking at in a chart is energies, energy uh, modifications and qualifications um, in conjunction with the way consciousness works. Consciousness is what it's all about and the evolution of consciousness. You all know that you've been connected many, many times and it's the soul that has chosen this or that vehicle to incarnate, um, chosen to particularly develop this or that quality um, with respect to its own evolution on the realm of mind. It's a son of mind within the sea of mind and it works in conjunction with all other souls. There's only one group soul for humanity and they pattern according to the 12 petals of a heart lotus on that realm that they exist in. Later on also in the Turk astrology you'll learn about the 12 creative hierarchies, the 12 hierarchies of um, sentient lives that condition all that is, of which humanity is one, the angelic kingdom is another. There are many orders or hierarchies of, of lives that have trans gone far past the human in evolution and there are some um, orders of lives that are lesser than human in evolution and together these ones have gone past human and evolution, where human and evolution and less than human evolution we call the 12 creative hierarchies. And the symbolism of the 12 petals of the heart lotus is associated with the way of evolution of these 12 creative hierarchies. This is all part of a book of mine, Divine Causation, Volume 2, and this information is also in the Secret Doctrine and um, by Madame Blavatsky and Alice Bailey's um, Institute of Astrology from which this information is largely derived. So people can read these texts. So you can see that this is the science of life and if I was going to esoteric astrology proper I would also look for instance at chemistry and look at every single um, chemical element and we can attribute them to a particular sign of the zodiac 
and the particular ray and sub-array quality. If we're looking at whole kingdoms of nature or sub-aspects of those kingdoms of nature, deers, elephants and so forth, we can again um, attribute them rays and sub-rays and therefore um, signs of the zodiac and the planets and planetary rulers. If we're looking at nations, whole nations, and the way nations interrelate within the context of this particular civilization, we again can assign them signs of the zodiac and planetary rulers. And we can sort of do charts for entire nations. For instance, for America, in terms of when it gained its uh, declaration of independence at that time, then one could do a chart for, for the American group soul. And we can go on and on in Israel and whatever nation it is, um, Esoteric Astrology incorporates the movement of mass streams of consciousnesses within civilization. Also, one can look at various civilizations that have appeared throughout space and time of the human kingdom, and again, that's the same thing. Egypt comes under the second ray in general, or the fourth ray in terms of the yellow color, and you'll find an entire Egyptian civilization was an emanation of the fourth ray and therefore Mercury and, um, and Gemini as its um, sign of the zodiac. And once you begin to understand the way that the chakras relate to the signs of the zodiac, and you can see the groupings of constellations in there, the stars, and each um, constellation is but a chakra in the body of a great being, about whom all can be said exoterically. And those stars are uh, simply chakras, and each chakra has an astrological sign associated with it, a particular planetary ruler. The 12 signs of the zodiac is, um, is portrayed as signs, as um, constellations and not as signs, um, are the 12 petals of the heart in the head of the great being about whom naught can be said. Simply, just simply a heart chakra within a head or within the mind structure of that being unfolding. Technically, this earth, the solar system, is the very heart of all of that. Everything seems to revolve around this sun, or the earth. <laughs> it's probably the geocentric is the, the ancient term for it. The old forms of astrology was all geocentric. And there's a reason for that, because this earth, or the solar system is a pineal gland um, within the mind structure of that great being. And everything is seen by means of the eye. So when you begin to look more in terms of the entire cosmos, you're looking at chakras, and chakras are simply rays, different types of rays, conduits of ray energies, um, to each other and ultimately to our solar system. All of this history of esoteric astrology is veiled in Greek mythology um, and all of the signs can be properly understood if you look at the ancient wisdom of the Greeks. Of course, we could go into the ancient wisdom of the Chinese too to see a different version of the myths, but they all have to be read esoterically and not exoterically. There's but one religion and that religion is the esoteric tradition behind all exoteric dogmas. And that is the science of astrology. So we could go off and, um, and in this particular science there's 88 exoteric 
constellations and another um, uh, eight esoteric Ephric constellations making 96 altogether. 96 is um, the basic patterning of, of any lotus blossom unfolding. 8 times 12. It relates to the sign um, Scorpio. But when we go into the patternings of the chakras and the petals unfolding, we're going into a very, very in-depth um, study of chakras and therefore we're going to very in-depth studies of astrology. Instead of the conventional signs such as Mars and, and Pisces and all the rest of it, we could use numbers instead. And esoteric astrologers properly use numbers. And so it then translates with the science of numerology. Because that stands above, therefore, Greek mythology and Greek mythological symbolism. So if I was looking at the planet Vulcan, for instance, I would simply use the number one. If I was looking at the planet Mars, I'd use the number six. But it'd be a specific way of, of notating six to, to show that Mars is an exoteric planet and um, Neptune is an esoteric planet. So the mythology of the stars is what is coded in Greek mythology, the way the stars interrelate, and then in the way that um, a solar system is formed, our solar system, for instance, the struggle between the Titans and Greek mythology, it's all this esoteric uh, astrology, and its proper understanding, therefore, of astrology is the proper understanding of Greek myths. To each of the signs of... Um, the zodiac, these twelve petals within the heart, within the heart of the head of that logos, um, when it relates to human conditionings, because we're so much focused upon humanity that we think in terms of human beings, when it relates to human conditionings, then we attribute to each, as I said, three planetary rulers and three different types of qualities. For, for instance, for Taurus, I've painted a series of 12 cards, the two of these 12 signs of the zodiac, which there's the symbolism on the cards. This is actually a part of a series of 80, which I may actually one day get to paint on other things to do with these teachings. The symbolism on the 12 cards gives us uh, the sum total in a sense of the symbolism of the 12 signs of the zodiac from an esoteric perception perspective and they must be looked at accordingly. If we look at the sign Aries, for instance, you'll find that it is a fire sign, and therefore it is governed or rules the element mind, or the quality mind. All mind is to do with fire. There's three fire signs in the zodiac, and Aries is the first sign of the zodiac and it um, symbolizes initial mental beginnings. Everything that, that is the, the, the mind of God or the mind of man before they start any venture, they first have to formulate or think out something. And whatever that formulation of thinking is, whether it's the thinking of a, a universe coming into existence or a solar system or any form of creativity, this is initial mental beginnings and this is ruled by the sign Aries, the ram.
and they're cross associated with, with areas as cardinal. There's three crosses in the zodiac. And the fixed cross, the immutable cross, and the cardinal cross. The fixed cross stands static. It's just simply a simple cross, like um, with an equal arm cross that stands in the heaven. And a person is crucified on that cross, like Jesus was. He was crucified on a fixed cross. And the various different types of crosses indicate um, the different modes of, of progression in universal space. Fixed cross means it's essentially static and you stand in the centre or the heart of life. Um, the northern direction of the cross is upwards to the kingdom of God. The southern direction is downwards into the mineral kingdom, into the lesser lives. The eastern arm is inwards to the heart of life and the western arm is outwards to the field of service. Right, these are the four arms of the cross and um, the person on this particular cross stands fixed in space with these types of energies working through that individual. The mutable cross is one of constant motion, it's a swastika and it's the in intermediate arms of the fixed cross and it's therefore it's technically the north-east, the north-south, the north-west and the south-west directions. And here we give them the, the quality, unity, expression, understanding and goodwill. These are terms that are translated in English for these intermediate positions. When the two crosses are put together, then you have the eight arms of, of a compass, and that um, gives you direction in time and space. When you properly understand the nature of mandalas as it relates to chakras and the nadi system underlying the chakras, then you see that everything um, is worked out according to these eight directions. The direction, unity, the rock of gibbets sort of astrological signs, for instance, Mercury, um, is this nor-east direction and it concerns the accumulated effort of a brand of brothers or sisters working together. They band together, form a chakra or a system, and then they project en energies into space towards the heart of life, in this case. The south-west direction, and we're talking now of the, the mutable cross, I'm giving you technicalities here, um, is the energy expression. It's actually ruled by Mars. And the energies that then goes through the heart of life must, from this unified energy projection, must then go through into the heart of life, outwards into material space, as expression. Right? It has to find its uh, its means of of working somehow. So first of all, you get the initial beginnings in this area called unity, and then you get the outward expression um, via Mars, the god of war, and uh, into manifest space and once the energy has been expressed it finds itself coming back in again to the hearts of life to understanding because you've gained the benefits of the expression that's the way the mutable cross works it's always moving it can move from right to left or from left to right depending on whether it's the right hand path it's going or the left hand path depending on whether it's going the way of consciousness or the way of materialism 
Um, so once the unity has been expressed, once the purpose of unity has found itself outwards into expression, then comes an understanding or a gain or a revelation of the expression, like being a musician and you've sort of fought it out, uh, whatever music you play, you're going to play your music that's produced an effect in the audience and then the effect of your audience comes back to you and you try to modify um, or play better or whatever it is. So some understanding is coming from that expression and so that's the um, the southwest direction of this particular cross and it goes back into the heart of life and then finally it um, goes outwards as the energy of goodwill which is emittory sound it's something like it has been accomplished or um, something like that it's the sum total of the whole energy that's been the whole energy expression that's going back outwards into space um, as the accomplishment of, um, of the whole purpose of the mandala revolving this is the mutable cross and um, as I said um, it's the intermediate positions between the fixed cross the cardinal cross now the, the fixed cross is, is the love principle of the, of the three, three aspects of deity the father aspect is the cardinal cross the mother aspect is the activity is the mutable cross and the sun or consciousness aspect is the fixed cross so we have three types of energies um, Ida, Pingala, Shashumna uh, three aspects of being Father, Son, Mother three crosses this makes sense to you and this then um, is weaves its way through nature in all beings a duality producing a a triplicity as they work towards fusion. The cardinal cross is literally a form of an arrow. It's uh, like a, an arrow head with a straight line and it just simply means a major energy direction in any of those eight points. Wherever that energy direction is, wherever the will aspect is, there's the cardinal cross. And it's the most difficult of all the crosses to to understand because it is a moving arrow of light um, onwards and upwards and outwards and through time and space, pushing everything onwards in the particular momentum of that arrow. Therefore, you can think of the mutable cross as um, as mutable continuous activity in the physical plane in the realms of being you can think of the fixed cross as that gain of the activity which is consciousness evolving and consciousness expanding and then you can think of the cardinal cross as forward projection onwards and through time and space to push, push the whole universe if you wish in a given direction these are the three crosses in nature with the three crosses and uh, the four elements, you can also look at the four seasons, which I won't go into now. So, uh, this looking at Aries, uh, the symbolism is um, the rams, the rams' horns, and the rams' horns are turned in both directions, Ida and Pingala Nadis, fusing as a Shishumna. And in my book, The Revelation, Volume 1, in Chapter 6, I give the symbolism of the rams' horns in terms of energy. And there's um, one reason, for instance, in the old Bible uh, of the fall of the Temple of Jericho, for instance, where they blew these horns. They walked around and around just blowing these horns. And uh, eventually this, this whole city fell, crumbled. Um, 
But what they're really talking about is awakening the Nadi system associated with the ram's horns and its symbolism. And um, the three qualities to do of this sign is the exoteric um, quality to do of Aries, and the exoteric ruler is Mars, the god of war. And um, therefore, exoterically, the orthodox uh, uh, Aryan is quite willful, forceful, he's called the fiery warrior. Uh, they're quite uh, headstrong, like the ram is. They're able to butt their head against any brick wall if they wish or try to get things uh, into uh, accomplishment. They can be very good soldiers, as they not often are. Uh, so they're quite forceful, willful, headstrong. They're fiery in nature because of this fiery energy of, of the element of the sign and um, you know, quite uh, good accomplishments and achievers. They have a lot of will inherently within them. Uh, as I said, the cross is cardinal, therefore it's this, this cross of the will. And this is what they develop. Esoterically, they call the Lamb of God, because once they begin to um, learn, you know, understand Mars as the god of war, and, and uh, the way of, of war is this, the shedding of blood. Uh, and so they, the warriors are quite capable of shedding blood. But um, the Lamb of God is the disciple the way of initiation is to transcend all of that, um, to become enlightened beings. And so instead of being warlike, you become very peaceful. You become the, um, the peaceful grazing animals that uh, just simply um, those are peaceful, gentle creatures. Um, esoteric, uh, the um, esoteric ruler is Mercury, which relates to the mind, fluid, analytical mind. And so they go away from martial-type qualities, um, which enables you to penetrate and pierce things. As I said, this is initial mental beginnings. Um, to um, The mind now is um, acting as the messenger of the gods. And the hierarchical rulers, Uranus, which I won't get too much into hierarchical rulers, where most people, it just does not affect them at all. Um, but it's Uranus, the seventh ray, and brings in occultism. So Aries, Aryan types, are quite, uh, can be quite forceful again. It's a version of the seventh ray and willful. Now, I want to go a little bit uh, maybe into the history of the zodiac, uh, just to point out that Aries at present is the starting and the ending of the signs of the zodiac, but in the dawn of time, as far as human beings go, there was only eight signs of the zodiac. And um, originally it was Sagittarius, which was the, the beginning of the evolutionary journey. Um, Sagittarius is the sign of the avatar riding the right on the white horse, um, the avatar siding, uh, riding out into manifestation, manifest space. The reason why there was eight signs then was because the astral plane, as we understand it, did not exist. The emotions had not yet been developed. You're talking about animal man. Um, they, they had a strong desire body, and they're still trying to incarnate into a physical body. Sex ruled their lives. Um, emotions, as you understand it, did not exist. The astral plane did not exist. It had to be created. And as the... As um, human consciousness evolved, then the other four signs, Aquarius, Pisces, and 
the sign of the Sphinx, Virgo and uh, Leo united, these signs split into two signs. So you get the mystery of the Sphinx as part of the history of the Zodiac. When the Sphinx was in existence, for instance, the original, um, the original thing outside the Great Pyramid of Giza was a woman's head on a lion's body. Now it's a man's head because they've carved it down over the 12,000 or so years because of the weathering. But it's originally a woman's head, Virgo, on a lion's body, which is Virgo Leo. And it shows you once in ancient times, Virgo and Leo were one sign, considered two aspects of one sign. I could go into the mystery of the Sphinx and it would take a long, long lecture in itself. But um, therefore, at that time, there was technically 11 signs of the Zodiac. And if you look at the polar opposite, you'll find again that Aquarius and um, Pisces were also united, are not really included. That brings you then 10 signs of the Zodiac. Do you understand? Um, this is the ancient history of the Zodiac. So we now have 12 signs because the full petals of the heart lotus can be awakened by humanity and expressed. This is one of the reasons why Jesus incarnated 2,000 years ago to give the impetus of the, the last um, petal of the heart lotus for human kingdom to awaken. So the mystery of the Sphinx uh, just gives you an idea that um, the Zodiac has not always been what it is today. It has evolved according to the way human beings have evolved to bring on board cosmic energies. In this particular case, essentially the cosmic energy of love. So... Um, the fiery warrior becomes a lamb and then once they've attained, um, attained enlightenment they become the manifestation of divine will. They're the bearers of the will of God into manifestation. And they do this by Uranus. Taurus is the second sign of the zodiac and um, in the card here you'll see that um, there's two main, main two symbols in the Aries sign we've got Technically, the, the, the quality of God um, holding a, a book of se with seven seals in it because um, Aries brings on the, the wisdom teachings, the wisdom religion. It's one reason why the, uh, the Jewish religion is founded in the sign Aries, astrologically, when, when um, the sun was in Aries. And we're going back to the procession of the equinoxes before the sign Pisces. Now, uh, Taurus, you can see that in that particular sign, you can see the very, very centre of that is the eye and the triangle, and it's a cosmic sign. Uh, it brings in the symbolism of the bull and all the cow, uh, cow religions, Haifor in Egypt, uh, the worship of the sacred bull in India, Mitra. There's, there's, there's um, worship of the cow religions and the volcanoes. There's um, the esoteric ruler of Taurus is, is um, Vulcan who rules metallurgy and the earth and uh, the volcanic fire. But essentially Taurus is more cosmic and a uh, cosmic being and the eye of God here really refers to Pleiades. The Pleiadian star system, the seven sisters, at uh, the back of the ball when you look in the constellations, and it's that particular eye that directs our entire solar system. As a matter of fact, um, our sun is said to revolve around the fourth of the stars, Halcyon, 
um, which therefore is the very centre of the universe as far as our solar system goes. Taurus is the sign of the, the home of the hearth and in this particular picture of mine I've got this river going through and, and then um, translating the cosmos into a silver river, silver gold river that goes straight into the eye. And so we've got really here the the right and the left nadis and the sashumna nadi going through from the earth um, to the cosmos. And as a matter of fact, the whole thing is based on a on the sign Taurus. 